0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to Be Above Leadership's Blog Talk Radio, and today's topic is Organizational Wounds and How to Heal Them, and uh, this is Ursula Pottinger from Be Above Leadership, and I'm here with my good friend and business partner, Anne Betts, and we've also invited the delightful Jean Davidson, so welcome.
2: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Yay. Yay. I'm ex I am excited. Jean, um, we'll have you introduce yourself in a minute, but you know, one of the reason that we invited Jean, um, other than that we just adore her and think she's brilliant, is she has she has such a great deep organizational context as well as understanding of the wounds and understanding of the seven levels, and so just it's great to have you with us today.
1: Bob, awesome to be here. Yes, Jean. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's wonderful. Do you want to say something about yourself, who you are, and where you live, or um, anything like that?
2: Sure. So let's see the brief version. Um, yeah, when you say, you know, deep experience of organizational wounds and um, healing, it's interesting because I think that my experience of organizational wounds goes back long before I was a professional in this field. Um just being a part of organizations, whether it was back when I was teaching school or doing temp work um, or those things. And now I have language and understanding, perhaps, to apply to some of my life experiences. But um, the short version of this, I guess, is that um, I have a doctorate in organization development and a master's in human resource development, and I'm a CTI-trained coach, followed on – Shortly after that, actually, to become CNTC with Ann and Ursula. And uh, primarily, my focus for about 15 years was really organizations that were going through significant changes, whether those were mergers and acquisitions, or divestitures, or large system implementations. And I was there consulting on the human and cultural elements of the change. And as we look at today's topic, certainly those were areas where um, these, you know, when life's just going on kind of the same, I believe that these wounds can be lurking below the surface, but when Mm. we develop the system, those are the opportunities where not only does it surface, but I think those are also the opportunities where we can start to move into recovery, so... Um, yeah, uh-huh. and I've been, gosh, I've been with Anne and Ursula now for, I don't know, I'm going to say a couple of years ago, but it's probably more like five because you know how time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> I know.
0: And Jean is also, thank you. You really are the perfect person for this conversation. And Jean is also um, leads our certification pods and helps us with our crazy travel schedules. So we are so grateful for that um you know ursula i'm thinking maybe should i just do a couple of minutes on you know we're talking about wounds and we're already yeah. you know i'm thinking about organizations i've been in and worked with but let's kind of, let me kind of set this up a little bit yeah so we can say what, yep.
1: what give, we're actually talking about yeah let's give let's give our a listeners bit of context. some some context uh, so that uh, you know their brains know where we're, where we're
0: coming from and where we're going <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Well, so a number of years ago, Ursula and I ran into this fascinating man at a conference named Dr. Mario Martinez, and his, if you're curious about him, his website is biocognitive.com. And he um, was talking about this uh, idea and research that there are three core human wounds, shame, abandonment, and betrayal. We're going to talk more about these. Ursula and I, in our work, we incorporated that into our one-to-one work, and then we started looking at, you know, we think organizations themselves can have these wounds that don't get talked about. And as Jean so beautifully said, when things are tricking along, you know, may just sort of be a little bit of a, you know, little bit of sand in the gears, but when you've got any kind of crisis in the organization, or they don't get addressed for a long, long time, you can have them really rear up and really stop things and really create a mess. Um, and this I want to just make a distinction that what we're talking about today is not wounded people in organization. But how does an organization itself get shamed or abandoned or betrayed? And there are also some healing fields that we're going to talk about. And we have examples of both, of organizations that have not recovered from this and also organizations that dealt with their wounds and did a good job of recovering them recovering from them and moving forward and got some really cool examples there. So what else um, Ursula or Jean, would you want to add to that? Does that feel like a good, good place to start?
1: That's a great uh, place to start, and I want to refer to the uh, wonderful description end that you put on the Blog Talk Radio uh, website, uh, because it really puts it in a nutshell. Organizations have an energetic state that is both made up of and larger than the people who work there often there are historical incidents that create wounds of shame, abandonment and betrayal. So I really love that that it's made up of and larger than the people who work there and it can be um, it can have a historical it can have historic uh, it can be uh, linked to the past somewhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think just like in, you know, some of it is some of it is, you know, really crappy behavior and some of it is a little more benign and they, you know, shows up in different ways. And so maybe we should get into kind of working our way through and having some examples. So people are like saying, well, what are you talking about? So the wound of shame. So in a human being, this occurs if they get belittled and shamed or, you know, called out for really shame, you know, told that their behavior is shameful. How do you guys think an organization gets a wound of shame. And do you have any examples?
1: Yeah, one of okay. Jean. Jean, do you have an example where you have seen that in an organization?
2: I do. I'm actually thinking of an organization I worked with that, um, you know, they'll talk about mergers and acquisitions. And my mentor said that. Um, mergers really only happen on paper. It's always an acquisition. They just oh um, wow, <laughs> oh. that's great. And that I have, had, oh I, mean, I
1: like that.
2: Yeah, I have to say, in my experience, that really is the case. It is, and so I'm thinking about an organization um, I worked with that, um, they, you know, they started out as a little fish, and they just kept getting acquired. And every time that they were acquired, it was um, because you know, you really can't, you can't make it on your own. You know, you guys met, you have a good mm-hmm. idea, but really you need us and we're, we're going to help you. And um, uh-huh. repeatedly, mm-hmm. nothing good would happen. And so they just kept getting mm-hmm. eaten up. And so actually when I got there to work with this organization, this was probably the fourth time that um, they had been acquired And the organization that was acquiring them, I really did believe that there was a great plan and this was going to be successful. Um, And we're talking about a period of um, 12 to 15 years that these acquisitions had happened. So there were many people working in this little organization now that weren't even there for the other ones because they'd have, you know, Uh turnover. So I think to your point, Anne, that this isn't individuals, this is that it exists it exists in an energetic space in the organization is that they would bring up stories about how, yeah, you know, this isn't going to be any different. We've been told that story before. I don't understand why it's going to work this time. And when I would probe and ask what their experience had been over and over again, I would hear, well, you know, I wasn't here, but we, it's just the way that it is.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> they didn't even experience it. And Jean, I want to highlight something you said that may point to, sometimes it's really, when we get to the healing, we'll show, you don't even necessarily need to know what the wound is, and many times organizations have multiple, but one of the things that to me would trigger a curiosity about shame is it seemed like they were constantly being told you're not good enough. Yep. You are, uh-huh. you're less than, you're failing, you're not good enough without us, you're the little, you know, you're the little sister, the little brother, um, belittled, that they were really belittled in the process of uh-huh. these acquisitions. Yep, absolutely.
2: Uh-huh. I and, want to share yeah. another
0: example. Is that okay, Ursula? Go ahead. I, yeah, Anna, yeah. go I ahead. I have an
1: example as well. But. I want to jump in on that point Yeah,
2: please. Because... Um, I just want to be cautious here is that if I'm going to go to the leaders, right, is that I don't I don't think that their message was their language and their out their formal communication wasn't, you're not good enough. It really was the intention was coming from a place of that we're here to help you. So I think that the intention was good, but um, the way that it was heard and that it was perceived was, we aren't good enough and we can't make it on our own. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know that. I think that oftentimes what happens is that leaders create this shame in an organization and it certainly wasn't part of the plan. No, Uh it it
0: probably, probably is it.
2: Um, and
0: I've got another example of sort of a benign when we get to abandonment, but let me give a quick example of an organisation. I'm making an assumption here, but we'll we'll talk about this because it was a very public thing that happened, and that is Wells Fargo. So Wells Fargo, the shame of Wells Fargo, and I'm going to make a distinction here, was, uh, if you hadn't followed the story, is they were un- open- opening unauthorized accounts. It became not a policy, published policy, but it became an organizational culture. You know, I, there was some saying, like, eight is great, like everybody should have eight accounts. And they really, I imagine and am making up, and, you know, please, if you worked there, you know, you can tell me and validate this, um, I think that to be internal to Wells Fargo would have felt very shameful. Now, I also think they may have healed this wound, and we'll talk about that when we get late, get there later because of how they dealt with it. Um, but just being doing something shameful, Enron, you know companies like that, so there's shaming behavior as Gina's talking about, either overt or unstated, not intended. and then there's acting in shameful ways. So, again, this is yeah. an assumption. I did not consult with Wells Fargo, but I can't imagine that anybody was too proud to say, what do you do for a living? I'm a banker with Wells Fargo.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I've, uh, the, the thing that's sort of jumping up at me right now is what has been happening um, over the last couple of years in the Catholic Church, So, Mm. you know, you can say that that is an organization and um, it's, um, you know, behavior that has either never been acknowledged or dealt with or has been acknowledged or dealt with too late and the impact it has had um, on the, Mm -hmm. you know, the overall culture now, you know, the church is split up in many different pieces. But you can see the, the church itself as an organization and the impact that would have overall.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that there's a, there's a, an energy field there. Um, uh-huh. And I think as we talk about what it takes to heal these wounds in organizations, we start getting to this, what is missing, you know, that, yeah. that is so, that is so needed. And when that, Happens even a little bit how 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 powerful it is, but let's explore the other organizational wounds and see. So then we have so shame is really this you know where you're ashamed of yourself as an organization you're ashamed of yourself or and uh, or you're ashamed within or you feel less than abandonment is the next wound, and I am. I'm to, I'll just tell mine is a pretty quick example worked for an organization that had a very charismatic leader who was actually really beloved and very innovative. Unfortunately, he was also also very externally focused and he I think the organization now that I, and gene this is I was really resonating with what you were saying that i'm looking back over this going eh, that's what was happening because there was a lot of Fear in the organization people felt sort of paralyzed and we felt like this it was like like the dad that you loved just was traveling for business all the time and you could never really get his attention or get him to look at your report card that's what it felt Mm -hmm. like and we felt and again this is like not he wasn't a mean guy but he really abandoned the internal aspect of that organization yeah oh, that's
2: great that is a great example um, I I think that the example I would use is an organization that um, got overly confident it was a healthcare system that I worked with in um, Wisconsin and I mean really successful right in lots of small places there and I think was so successful that they really didn't look to the outside. They didn't pay any attention to the competition that was going on. Um, they didn't think about how we need to be innovative and um, really just got to this overconfident place. And then when it hit, right, I mean, when all of a sudden they pulled their heads out and looked, um, there was, it really was fear going through there. I mean, every time I would be there, people would be just talking about, oh my gosh, what's gonna to happen to us? And I would say that there was there was blame in the sense that they really thought that their leaders, their senior leaders, how could you let this happen to us? We yeah, should have, they felt abandoned. Yeah, exactly. Like isn't that isn't that what you get paid the big bucks for, is to make sure that we don't get into these kind of situations. Right. <laughs> right. Right.
0: It's like, again, and I don't mean to make this all parental, but it's sort of like, you know, you're going along and your parent, you're going to the grocery store with your parents and it's all looking good. And then one day you find all your stuff on the street because your parents didn't pay the rent. And you're like, what? You're supposed uh-huh. to do that. Like, what? You abandon uh-huh. your responsibility. Um, uh-huh. So, Jean, do you think in Ursula that sometimes lack of vision is a form of abandonment in an organization? Yes, I
1: I think so. Um either lack of vision or a vision that constantly changes. I mean, in the end I think people feel there is mm. no compass, there is not a captain that holds the steering wheel. Mm. The little the little or the big mm. ship is rudderless. Um and I think that uh that can create a great amount of anxiety and fear because people don't know the direction or the direction constantly changes, which is, you know, which is really worrisome for a lot of people.
0: You know, I really, I love that you say that. Go go ahead, Jean. Oh,
2: no, go ahead and comment on Ursula's. Mine's a little different. Okay.
0: I wanted to just make a highlight of something that Ursula said. So it's sort of, you know, you're kind of thinking, well, it would be useful. Maybe I'm an organizational development consultant or working in an organization. What is, the, um, what is the wound here? And, you know, so looking to see what is the emotional state of the people in the organization. And in abandonment, what you'll find is this fear. As Ursula said, it's like nobody's driving the boat, the compass, there's where are we going. It feels unstable and unpredictable. And when things are unpredictable, what we tend to do is prepare ourselves for the worst so that we don't run out of um, sort of resources to deal with the worst that could happen. Um, And then in shame, it's people just, you can sort of like there's a, lack of energy, lack of engagement, lack of enthusiasm about anything because it's sort of been beaten beaten out of them.
2: Yeah. So. Uh-huh. I was going to say, you know, when, I mean, I didn't know when I started doing this work because I wasn't aware of um, this whole field of study that you guys have around our, the energy that's in the space. But I remember being in organizations that... Um, I guess it it felt like a morgue, like, like, is there any, is there (laughs) anything here, right, I mean, I thought with people, right, and say, um, it was almost like zombies, right, like, people would come, they'd go through their day, but, you know, they'd ask me to do interviews or to do focus groups, and I couldn't get people to say anything, there was nothing, whereas, now, if I go to fear, um, one of the things that I notice is that there's lots of rumors, right? And there's lots of talking about, oh, my gosh, what's good? And so when you said vision, Anne, one of the things that I thought about was, um, I think that lack of transparency from leadership, um, you know, that there's this, uh, we're not sharing the data, right? And so what I will see is that we're going to do a lot of surveys and then we never actually get survey data back um yeah. and they say we're going to have this big meeting and plan but then we don't hear the outcomes of it and so i believe that it leads the the organization as a whole then to make up um make up stories about that and of course oh, i think it's even worse when we're in a time i mean right now it's pretty great because we're in this economy where you know leave your job today and you're gonna have a new one on monday but when we're in times um like we were you know 10, I mean, nine years ago yeah. where you didn't know if you were going to get a job, then, um, then there's this almost like this economical sphere that's wrapping around the organizational sphere. So there's a wound in, you know, there, I think there's a wound in an industry, a wound in an economy that's out there uh-huh. that impacts organizations as well. Uh-huh. Well,
0: think about, that's really cool. So think about the wound in mortgage banking from the mortgage crisis uh-huh. and the shame and And there can also be, as people try to recover from that, this feeling like this really need to prove and, you know, to show, no, I am good enough. And that's interesting. A wound Uh in an economy, wounds in countries. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Where are we going with all of this? I wanted to say, when you talk about the zombies, don't they call that presenteeism? Like they show up, but they're not really there.
2: Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean but... I this mentor again that I had who um well, he's still my mentor and um good friend, but uh, the same one that said um some other wise things to me, but he talked about the fact that uh in change, you know, people fear resistance because oh my gosh, people are gonna fight against us and he said, Gene When you have resistance in an organization, he said you should be thrilled because at least it means that people care. He said if you go in somewhere and and there's apathy, he said it's absolutely the worst because they've stopped caring. And to me
0: that right? Yeah. And when that I noticed that with myself in relationships, I was just thinking about that that the danger sign is not when I'm protesting, the danger sign is when I'm not.
1: Yep. That's so true. (laughs)
0: that was sort of a good realization well let's talk about um betrayal and see if we have anybody have an example so uh, big picture the betrayal wound i think one of the ways you can kind of suss that out or sniff it out is people are mad people are pissed there and this is sort of sort of to your point you can do something with that energy that you can't do with the zombie Mm -hmm. culture People are mad. Mm -hmm. Uh They feel like they've been promised something by the organization, and that promise was not kept. So that's, I think, that for me, the key thing here: a promise was made and not kept to the. And I'm looking to see. Oh, I do have an example, but let me see if somebody else has one too, because I don't, I don't want to out this organization. (laughs) I'm trying to think (laughs) how I can say it. (laughs) I bet there's a lot.
2: What's but that?
1: You do you have an example? Um, uh, you know, we talked about this recently, and I had a really good example because it was um about trust being broken, and now I can't remember what it was. I can't remember what the example well, was. I had a really good one.
0: Yeah, I do. Let me go to the one that I've got and see how I can talk about this. Um, it was a it was an organiz, organization that um, had a number of staff and that were consultants, and were very invested in the sort of the feeling of the organization was like, this was like a family. And at one point during the economic downturn, everybody was told, well, you know, some of you are just need to, you know, sort of go on hiatus from us. I mean, it wasn't the same as being fired because these people all had other income sources, but this was feeling like you're sort of part of this family, part of making something really cool happen in the world, and then told you're on hiatus but the problem that was not necessarily the betrayal the problem was when the economy turned around the organization never brought the people back from hiatus and never addressed that they weren't coming back and they hired eventually ended up hiring new people and so there was this real you know among some of the people that were on hiatus were told they were on hiatus and then sort of discovered it was a permanent state real anger like real oh they just felt so betrayed and then it seeped in sort of uh, in its own way to the rest of the organization even the people that had retained their their contracts um, or new people that came in you could kind of feel this sort of irritation in the energy field Uh so Uh um, that to me was just and it never really it never got addressed with any sort of transparency or honesty
2: uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. you know I, I don't have a specific one, but I, I think about um well, because there's, there's it feels like there's a, a pattern here um, around the sales parts of organizations. So I know we're talking about entire organizations, but I think you can have it within um, even departments. And I guess I could expand it. Oh, sure. If an order think about sales, right? And so sales um, is supposed to hit their numbers and then. Uh-huh. They don't hit their numbers. Uh-huh. And um, pretty yeah. soon, like, there's all this finger pointing going on. And even at the very top, I've seen at the very top of the organization, they cannot get aligned around it because they, um, it's like lack of accountability. I don't want to take what I did to that. I'm just going to point my finger at you and say, you know what? You you let us down over there. Uh-huh.
0: So, yeah. yeah blame. And I think the other, this just happened to one of my clients. I'm trying to think of where I saw this or somebody told me this example of a, Oh, I know it was was somebody told us an example, one of our, the consultants that we know in an organization sales team didn't hit the targets, wasn't given really any support or unpacking. And then they upped the targets for the next year without any additional staff or communication or dealing with what happened and that organization is literally, excuse my language, we'll just say the, the initials, the people there are like WTF. Yeah. Huh? Uh-huh. I mean, they're not afraid. They're not listless and zombies. They're like, what? There's that, and that's uh-huh. what you feel in this kind of organization where there was a, like, there's an implied promise that you're going to, like, work with us. And we aren't able to hit these targets because they were in a country where the economy was really bad. And it's just double their targets next year. It feels so dismissive and unconcerned about humans that it pisses people off, rightly so. Yeah. Uh-huh. And
2: it sets, up, it sets up these silos. I mean, you know, if, we, if we're thinking about, you know, the seven levels and, and how you get above and... It's selfless up here. We are in this together and what's the right thing to do. When yeah. we're in this place about betrayal and frustration, it's all these silos. it's like, well, you know, no offense, but screw you guys because you mess up stuff. Yeah. We're going to stay in our own deal and take control of what we can take control of. And there's so yeah. much energy. And I, and I think I'm going to add one more point here. And that's that, you know, please, that energy, energy can be perceived as though it's really good. Another thing my mentor said was don't be seduced by activity and energy because they think that they're getting stuff done but it's not it just feels so good to i don't know be angry about stuff
0: yeah uh-huh. and move a lot of things around move yeah. a lot send a lot of emails and move a lot of things around but not actually and that was when i when i actually worked in the organization that was that i think i think the my abandonment organization also had some betrayal i think there were some I think what was happening there is if you think about organizationally, there's overt promises and there's implied, there's implied contracts, there's implied things that get broken all the time. And then the leadership says, well, we never promised you that. Just because you've had three weeks vacation for 10 years, it doesn't mean that that's a promise. Mm -hmm. Now it's two. And you want to make people mad you know, we have implied contracts that they're counting on, and I think this happens all the time, and people wonder, well, why are they so mad? Well, you've betrayed them. And there were various things. We got a new HR director. I'm trying to remember what happened. We had a new HR director who was very command and control. And she came in with her idea that she was going to whip this nonprofit little buggy into shape and make us more accountable and all of this shit. And we had this implied promise. Um, this was the one, the organization we had this charismatic leader of that, you know, we were all kind of just – on the right team we were working in youth development and we were doing good stuff in communities and we just had this like everybody does their job sort of attitude and she came in and wanted to quantify it all and wanted to put all these policies into place and I think we and I think that was what the betrayal was is we felt like wait a minute this isn't what I signed up for
1: we had a a good
0: thing going here and there was no policy that said it doesn't matter when you come in as long as you get your job done, but that was the culture. And all of a sudden yeah. it mattered. And we were pissed. Um, mm-hmm. Even though nobody, you know, I never promised you a rose garden, never promised you that, but you kind of did. Cause that was the culture.
2: Yeah. Oh, and that, yeah, that, that just brings up my gosh, the points of, um, you know, you say the implied promise. I mean, we could spend an hour, just example, example, <laughs> Of you know, whether it's that we always gave away a turkey at Thanksgiving and we didn't say we we're gonna do mm. it for you know eternity, but we have. Well, we've always had the pop machine downstairs that you can have pop for twenty five cents. This is a client that I have and they made it 50 yeah cents. This place went berserk about it.
0: <laughs> and even though outside
2: of there, Manage. you know, you were gonna pay yeah, a buck going. I love it. You, went, it. you were gonna pay a buck if you went to the gas station, but it's I'm getting it at half price yeah. downstairs, and it's like we've always had quarter pops, and there's just yeah. huge frustration. So I think it can happen about big things, and really small things, and and um, it's, it's very interesting the human dynamic there. Yeah,
0: you know funny. that I love that story so much because from an analytical point of view, if you're not thinking about this in terms of you know shame, abandonment, and betrayal. It, so what everybody's got an extra 25 cents a day it's not going to hurt anybody but there's something in the energy field that says we don't care about you as much as we used to yep mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that that and it's communication in uh, it. yeah no go ahead ursula sorry
1: yeah well it's it's, uh, it's very interesting because sometimes promises are um implied they are not in writing you know that it's a there's a promise about, okay, you're going to get your bonus when you achieve this and this, and uh, then they just up the ante. But then sometimes there are promises that are not actually spoken. And this, you know, pop machine is one of those. Well, it's always been that it was 25 cents, and all of a sudden the rules get changed, and people can be feeling betrayed by that.
0: I think this, you know, corporations, organizations, nonprofits, places like that that have a real culture of of family, you know, like, and sometimes this happens with founder-led organizations or small yeah. organizations, mission-driven organizations, and there's this feeling like... You know, what we're doing here is we're doing something really important in the world, and this is a family, and we're working together on that. And as they get larger, I think oftentimes the wound ends up feeling like betrayal because it's not the changes are not dealt with in an in a open, transparent way, and the, the expectation is, you know, we're a family. We do this together. We created this together, and now what happened? And I think the organization that I was talking about that put people on hiatus, I think that was also the same sort of thing, that it grew from this small band of people trying to make something cool happen in the world to this really big international thing. And, you know, it's hard to know where you fit. So just general culture change that maybe isn't a bad thing in and of itself but isn't addressed well.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I, I agree.
1: Go ahead. I agree. Ahead. I uh I agree my my husband worked for a a, fam, a family a, a founded a family founded organization that uh you know the the the, the main uh, couple founded the organization and then it is just as you said and it grew beyond beyond what mm. the family could handle. And then it became an organization, an organization, and people felt betrayed because all of a sudden they were not part of this inner circle of the family anymore. Mm.
0: It,
1: just, it, was, it became just unwieldy, and though nobody ever promised them anything, but I think they felt they, I think they felt both betrayed
0: and abandoned. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's really good. Well, let's go because you know it's it's fascinating, and I'm really, really hoping that people that are listening are thinking about some of their own experiences and what they've seen around this. But the the really cool thing about this work is that we don't have to stay in the ain't it awful conversation. There's some. What we've done is we've taken this research by Mario Martinez on what heals people individually and said. We think that will work in an organization, too. So in shame, what you have, the healing field for shame is honor. And so looking at what that does, and I have an example, you know, what that does to heal an organization. So... I think, and again, if you worked for Wells Fargo, you've got a perspective on this. You know, please call me. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus because what really hits me is I think they had a shame wound that they brought on themselves from shameful behavior, frankly. And I I actually think the public didn't feel shame. The public felt betrayed. There was a promise Mm -hmm. to the public that was not kept. So there's betrayal there, and internally my (laughs) expectation would be that was probably some degree of shame. And one of the things about honor is you tell the truth. That is how yeah. you honor something is you don't hide it. You actually say this is what it is. Here it is. And I'm not sure they had a choice, but they did. They told the truth about what was happening. And there was a little bit of obfuscation and, you know, well, it was only this manager would not. But what ended up coming out is it was kind of an organizational culture, and that was the truth. So that was the first step of, of I think, healing this, the wound. It wasn't hidden. You know, it's like, pull the Band-Aid off. Let's take a look.
1: Well, and this is really interesting uh, because it's uh, the, the direct opposite and contrast what shame actually wants to do. I mean, on an individual level, shame really wants to hide and uh, wants to lie and can't admit. So it makes perfect sense that the healing field of honor would be the opposite. It's it's yeah. ripping off the bandit and saying we have to look at this and mm-hmm. we have to admit and be responsible for what has been created. Um,
0: at every level. Yeah. Yeah, at every at level. At every level. Without a pointing the finger and hiding the ball and shirking responsibility. Jean, have you seen any organizations that you feel like have done this at all well?
2: I think I've seen um, – organizations try. I mean the notes that I made here is this, this is um this requires patience. Um
0: mm-hmm.
2: it requires courage really at all level because I can't just have it's gotta be more than that senior leader coming in and owning it and saying things are gonna be different. Um you know because there's mistrust underneath there, right? And so people are gonna wait a while and watch and say, okay, so you said that. You said but this is going to be different. Let's really wait and see how different it's going to be. So a note that I've made here was to um, just, you know, really honor and make a big deal out of the people that step forward and say hard things um, and to keep, yeah. answers, you know, how, how will it be different? And, um, and I, I wrote down the note here that I feel like in the, those places, I've had leaders who, instead of doing a lot of telling, have put themselves in a place where they've asked people how can we help you? And, oh, and help, helping a workplace beautiful. feel as though you have value. We, don't, mm-hmm. we as leaders don't have all the answers. You know, we've screwed up before. We believe that you've had to pay a price. Um, you're in it. You know how to help us. So like in, you know, mm. we talk about how you're naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. I think it's the leaders that believe that their organization is naturally creative, resourceful, mm-hmm. and whole. How do you honor that?
0: Mm-hmm. I love that because I think about, you know, this whole, um, one of the notes that I have around this is this idea of mining for brilliance in your own organization. And how many mm-hmm. times have all of us experienced this? And frankly, here's another way if you want to create a betrayal wound, bring in experts who oh. don't know as much as the people within your own org. You want to create a mm-hmm. betrayal wound, that'll do it every time. Um rather than honoring by saying, you, let's, let's, let's mine for the brilliance we already have. We hired these people for a reason, rather than the fact that somebody got on an airplane automatically makes them twice as smart as anybody we have in this org. Oh, my uh-huh.
2: gosh. So I'm, I, I'm in that role, right? I mean, I'm the one that gets on the airplane and comes in. And, oh um, right. and I'm right. so careful. I am so careful. That from day one, I make it really clear that um, I might have some expertise, but you have expertise here. You have knowledge that I will never have to have to partner. And that from day one, my job is to work myself out of this role because I know that you can do it. And I will hear from clients how different that is. And mine comes from my own experience, actually, where I worked for an organization that in addition to having external clients, I was responsible for um, an internal team. And um, the the interesting thing that was there was when we did some of this, uh, we gathered some data, I brought it to this VP with a plan, he said, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Um, And long story short, some other things happened, and I left that organization. Six months later, he brought me back as a consultant. I sat down and Said, I don't know what's changed, but this is what the plan was last time. And he said, This is great. And I called him one, and I said, Seriously, you could have gotten this for less money six months ago. What is that about? Right. And so, mm-hmm. I, wow. I, I, what did he say? What did he say when you called him? I love that you did that. What, what was his response? Um, well, he said things are different now than they were. I said, Well, yeah, because I'm. Not- oh, yeah. <laughs> But really I don't understand and so then he did own it he said you know sometimes when you don't work here all of a sudden your voice just has different value yeah. um mm-hmm. yeah I said, I said we have to think carefully about how we position this with the organization because you're asking me to do things with people I was a part of them um yeah. they, they, you know so there's something
0: there that is that is great, and I just want to take my little verbal highlighter pen and you know, for all of us who do, I'm about to go do a, a half day thing at, for at a man, at a manufacturing company, and I'm really wanting to take my highlighter pen and 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 remind myself to not you know to basically say my job is to help you realize what you already know, you know, and to work my mm-hmm. way out of a job and to not be this you know, necessary expert, but to facilitate, you know, your natural, creative, resourceful, and wholeness. So I I Uh really love that, Jean. Well, that's one of my big takeaways from today. So really thinking about what feels honoring to the organization, and usually it's to the individuals, policies that honor people, conversations that honor people, and you honor people when you take them seriously, Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, you honor them when you give them the responsibility, right? It's that so micromanaging would not exist if you were really going to try and honor them. It's that you you would give yeah. me the responsibility and trust me to do my work. Let me put that accountability on you to ask you when I need help or to tell you what I've done, but don't don't follow me around and second guess what I do.
1: Well, and totally. ties
2: into uh, really listening to
1: people, which I think in organizations sometimes um you know, really is is non existent, is listening, really listening and clearing to what people have to say, um, rather than either assuming that you already know or, you know, making assumptions uh based on uh people's you know, the leader's own experience. So I think that's another way to honor people is, is listen to them.
0: Yeah. I think I think so and you know one of my notes is around actually creating a coaching culture and so that mm-hmm. managers learn to listen more and direct less and um uh that that is so powerful and i think when we work with people individually and all three of us are professional coaches and have been for many years you know what you realize is that is the impact on this human being the fact that i am deeply curious about them non-judgmental and ask them questions that expand their thinking the impact is they feel honored And that is a powerful healing on the organizational level, on the personal level. So if an organization can train its managers in some skills around this and then reinforce it as a culture, uh, we're working with a nonprofit in Minneapolis that's really, that is their drumbeat right now. We want Mm -hmm. a coaching culture. We want a coaching culture. And so we're going in to help as much as we can. But that, I think, is just profoundly impactful. Yeah. You know, that makes you yeah.
2: think that, because as we do this work, you think about, okay, so we know the wound is there. We're going to try and bring about this, the healing and the process of recovery. Is that, what is it that you're hearing? And so in abandonment, I'm hearing that, um, or excuse me, not in a, yeah, that uh, uh, I hear that I don't, I didn't matter. I don't matter. Nobody cares. And that yeah. when we start to make progress, that you can hear that people feel like I matter. When they leave at the end of the yeah. day, I made a contribution. Um, they're grateful that I'm here. They value me. That would be a big shift.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And well, I'm this is thinking a, about this abandonment. Let's go ahead, Ursula, and then let's go to abandonment. Yeah, no,
1: I just I just and, wanted to say this is a good lead into the
0: abandonment wound um,
1: that uh, you know it that has this uh, fear. Yeah. Uh, the fear feeling to it and what the healing field for that is its commitment. And I think that is what Jean just was speaking to, is committing to the people in the organization um, in some way and making it uh, and showing it.
0: Absolutely. And I'm thinking about – I'm going to kind of send my brain looking for examples and from you guys as well of organizations that have really committed – but I'm, I'm just going to talk about the one where I felt like we had that outward focused leader. What we needed was for him to say, you are as important as the external world and funders. You are doing the work. What do you need? I am here. We are going to, you know, build this. And part of what had happened was we just, you know, part of what we needed him for was this vision and direction because we've gotten really big kind of quickly. So, but we needed his commitment to us as the staff and, you know, sort of as the workers in the organization. Um, We didn't feel ashamed. We didn't, you know, we felt like we were doing good work. We just didn't know what what the heck we were doing and how to organize it. So Uh I'm looking to see if there's examples either of organizations that you know or public organizations that have committed, that have said kind of like, look, we, you know, let go of this we kind of let go of it, but now we are committed, we're
2: committed to a process
0: and stayed Um, with
2: it. I'm thinking of an organization that I was working with that was um, going to have to go through a restructuring. And, you know, that's a time absolutely when there's fear abounding to worry about who's going to lose jobs. And uh, so as we were working with the executive leadership team, you know, they were talking about, um, in a sense, what were the sacrifices that they were going to make? Because not everybody was going to lose their jobs. Maybe we were going to cut overtime. Maybe we were going to you um, we were going to have to work extra hours. Maybe you were going to um, work like 32 hours a week instead of 40. Weeks. But there was um, there was a lot of um, that restructuring was going to change people's lives, and they were asking for a sacrifice right from their staff. And so um, I remember being in there, and um, the executives two of them had um they had company cars right but they didn't have to that stuff and um I don't know they've said something silly like oh well we think that you know maybe we'll and I I know I just judged them there but (laughs) that you know we're going to shut down like the executive cafeteria and we're going to go out and have to go and have lunch like everybody else is and I just remember looking at them and saying are you kidding me you think that that's really going to be seen as a sacrifice? I mean, that already is a luxury. Um, Right, right, right. How about if you guys sell the company cars and you figure out how to, you know, and, oh, how about if you take, like, maybe public transportation once in a while? And there was just this shock about, wow, um, I don't know if we can do that. And they did end up in the end giving up. Given up company cars and not just until numbers turn around, but they said, you know, that's really a luxury wow. and that we need to be committed to the bottom line. And so the note wow. I wrote here is that leaders need, leaders need to be seen to make a significant sacrifice. You know, it's, if, if this is going to be hard wow. on you, it's going to be hard on us too. Yeah, wow. That's, that's extraordinary. extraordinary.
1: That is yeah, that's a wonderful example and it really shows that making um staff a priority, making the organization um a priority, at least there is some personal investment there and I think that shows a lot to the people that work in the organization that people are actually serious and that is commitment for me. That's the word commitment yeah, I agree. is I'm seriously I'm seriously in it i'm not just a little bit in it i'm seriously in it
0: (laughs) um they like to say that you know for breakfast the the egg is the hen is participating the pig is committed um (laughs) i have another example i have another is that good but i have another example that came to mind So years ago, a software company in downtown St. Paul, Minnesota, Lawson Software. And at the time, this was a number of years ago that we were aware of them. I want to say this goes back like 10 years. We heard the CEO speak, a lovely man. And um, they were known as like one of the great places to work in St. Paul. I have no idea what's happened to them. At any rate, we heard him talk. And he gave a little speech at a conference. And he put a slide up on his PowerPoint, and he said, Here's our company values. And we all went, Oh, no, isn't that nice? Lawson has such nice values. And he <laughs> looked at all of us. I will never forget this. He looked at all of us. He said, This is the least important slide in my presentation. Oh! <laughs> That sort of got our attention, you know, like that was a little bit poke the bear. And so then he went to the next slide, and the slide was titled, How We Embed Our Values. He said, This is the most important slide in my presentation. Nobody cares mm-hmm. what your values are. Oh. So he talked mm-hmm. about that they did performance reviews based on the values. He talked about they gave feedback based on the values. He talked about how they celebrated honoring the values. He talked about the company culture that was shaped and formed by the values because he made such a good point. Your values are meaningless unless there is a serious Uh commitment to making them part of who you are, and I think this is why it really did have a very honest reputation as a really good place to work, because they were led by values, mm-hmm. and he was committed to it and I just think i 've never forgotten that most important, least important slide
1: well and I think it's uh, it's I think somewhat typical that you know the big vision, vision, and mission statement become just a plaque at the entrance hall. And uh, people within the organization have no connection to it. They walk by it yeah. every day, and you know it means it means nothing. So the other thing that I have in my notes is leadership, leadership needs to apologize and recommit with commitment and authenticity. And I think that's mm. a big deal. Is when when people yeah. at the top of the organization on behalf being the voice of the organization, find a way to apologize. Um, that mm. I think is
0: really a big deal.
2: First of all, I, I do, do, you know, and then that apology, no, uh, it's, it's not only the apology, which is really important. Um, and that, you know, the apology has to come from, um, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe it wasn't them. I mean, sometimes you've had new leaders come in and the, the crap yes. you're dealing with with leaders that yep. left, I don't care. If you're the new one sitting in that seat, then own what yep. leadership, and I'm doing air quotes, has done. And then I think the other part of that, though, is that you have to talk about how are things going to be different going forward. There's got to be more specificity yeah. about what's going to yep. be different. Sorry, that reminds me when my daughter was a little girl. I mean, she would she'd do <laughs> things all the time, and then she'd say, oh, I'm sorry, it was an accident it's not have an accident next time, Molly. Uh, uh-huh. God, you make so me cute. think
0: my son and anybody who knows me knows my, my son is, is, is a, is an amazing kid. And probably one of the smartest human beings I know. And he could be very disdainful as a teen. And, you know, I remember I said, I was sorry about something at one point and he looks at me with this look on his face about 15 or 16. And he says, Mom, you know that saying sorry doesn't mean it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! And he said, "What I want to hear from you is how it's not going to happen again." And I, I think I'd like promise yeah. to take him somewhere or something. And it really—he's like, "I'm not that interested in that." What I want to yeah. know is what's what's going to happen. And I thought, wow, you know, straight talk, and that's 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 useful. <laughs> I
2: didn't enjoy it very much,
0: but that was that was like a woo. Talk about being pulled, getting a little bit of an emotional wedgie. You're Like, whoa! I better
2: stand up. <laughs> I you know that
0: is just...
2: for me because I am writing down that line. So just tell him thanks for me that Jean now has a new line to use because that is <laughs> fantastic.
1: yeah you, you can his, quote Noah,
2: Noah, Noah Richmond.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right,
0: right. Yes, he gets, he's, he's really good. So thinking about betrayal, so we have this seething anger in an organization, often not expressed, often coming out passive aggressively. Um, I think when you've got – I think in shame people are too tired to go look for anything or they just feel like it's hopeless in abandonment they're too afraid about jobs but i think in betrayal people are you know you better believe they've got their resumes online um if they really feel betrayed they're looking for a way out cuz they're not scared or they're, they're mad
1: or they're looking for a fight or they're looking for a fight <laughs> you know what i mean right or they're that's looking to of the, that's or the they're looking thing.
0: They're looking for the, I think the water cooler effect can occur at all of these, but I think there's yeah. some energy in frustration that you need to be aware of because it will blow shit up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so betrayal needs what we, uh, what we call value, so valuing. So how might that look like organizationally when an organization brings value to the
0: uh, wound of betrayal? You know, I'm going to go big picture here, and, I'm, cur- and so I'm going to get a little bit out on a limb and be a little courageous. Um, I think this is what is happening in the U.S. politically. And I think this is, and I'm going to re- do a little risk, and if I piss you off or these aren't your politics, just send me an email, tell me you hate me. Um, but I think the no, midterm don't. Elections, part of <laughs> Just don't. No, I'm a nice person. I think that women in particular have felt very betrayed, and uh-huh. and this seething anger of like we've been demeaned, we've been attacked, we've been discounted, we're half the population, and we're actually not afraid anymore, and we're not ashamed anymore, we're mad. And what the uh-huh. value was is we you know, we took that energy and voted and valued women's voices in leadership, including some young women and some women of color, and in my state, one of the very first Native Americans, and in Minnesota, the first Muslim. You know, it's just um, astonishing, but I think that was organizationally as a country a way of valuing what has not been valued, and that's one of the reasons it's been so powerful. So there was my on you know, my th- out on a limb. No,
1: no, no. no. This is a brilliant example because what I am sort of getting is a little bit of this foot stamping. It's like we will not be (laughs) shut up anymore. We will find a way to emphasize who we are, our gifts, our talents, our strength, our power. And we're not going to apologize and make it small anymore. We are now having a voice. And I think that is really um, talk about a soapbox of value of saying we will no longer be diminished. And I think that's a, that's a really great example of when a whole group of people stand up and say, okay, we're done. And we are going to, um, we're really going to make a difference now in the lives of all those people that follow us.
0: Yeah, and I think, yeah. and I want to hear what Gina has to say, too. And I think organizationally, that's what you can do with this energy. If people feel betrayed, mm-hmm. you know, and because the pop is 50 instead of 25 cents, what do you want to do with that energy? How do you use them and make them feel valued and like they're contributing? Mm-hmm. Well,
2: that's, that's actually the, the point that I have there is because um, I've worked in a lot of, I mean, mergers and acquisitions is just filled. With this, with betrayal and frustration, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, I, it's interesting because one of the first things we try and do is we come in and we try and create a space where there's dialogue. We know because mm-hmm. that frustration, it's like it's energy, right? And and it's bubbling underneath the surface. And
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, I think of about as um, you know, if you have energy, we should bring energy above the ground and use it to move us forward. But if you just say, well let's kind of pretend that that's not there or let's just let them talk amongst themselves. At some point, that energy is going to blow. And um, so I think that there's a role for us in trying to help leaders understand how do you create a space where you can have dialogue, where you can really listen, where you don't get going to be defensiveness in there, right? There's going to be some of that. The old guard, right? And so how do I listen to that? And how do I, um, In my world, we talk about surfacing and managing resistance, is that before we create this space, you better have a plan of what are we going to do with all the crap that's going to come up, but that you bring it out in the open so that it can be, to your point, here's ideas of what we can do to make things better and make it different, and that when you don't do that, bad things happen inside the organization. I think that people leave. And I did make a point here that I think you have to really watch out because I believe that on the surface, an organization could be wildly successful, they could be growing, and you could still have this betrayal and frustration yeah. at the surface. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. right. And
0: it'll, it'll you'll pay the piper at some point. Yep. A couple of points I wanted to make. I actually think this is where young people are today. They're pissed. And I, you know, like the Parkland shooting um, folks and, and there, and the, and what I think those from a youth development perspective and, you know, as, as a person who just, I like to say, I just hit a, uh, speed limit birthday. I just turned 55. Um, you know, we, it's like, how, how do we, how do we dance? I don't know why. This is, that's how I, I think of it. Never oh. heard that. I
1: never have heard speed that before. Limit I think that's
0: so cute. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of the fives. Um, Mm. It's not a school zone. (laughs) It's a highway (laughs) park. Anyway, so being fifty-five and saying, "Oh, I appreciate this energy and I value this energy, and I want to dance with this energy," and maybe you have the, (laughs) you know, passion to do things that I can't see at this point, but if we try to block this energy because that's not the way it was done and you have to pay your dues, they will go create something else. They will silo. They will decide that we are irrelevant. And we are relevant. We have wisdom and perspective. We are relevant. And so that's how we have to meet this. Meet this millennial and Generation Z and whatever they are energy with with real in, engagement here and finding what's valuable about it yeah you, you know, know I'm talking,
1: to, sorry the, we're so, all so on <laughs> uh, yeah, no, um, I'll, I'll, I'll let me let me just finish this thought uh, tying into N, and then i want to hear what you're saying you know N, what this brings up is that you know i am i'm in a different speed limit zone you know i've hit 65 <laughs> which is you know the 95 <laughs> heading north and south and sometimes it hit 70 which I'm not quite, though, in any case. But what I'm really getting here is that especially mm. the the older people, like the people close to re- retirement, what is happening is that they were also never valued. They are now being chucked mm. out and put into pasture. Mm. And if that whole um piece of humanity if they, if we would value ourselves, it would be so much easier to co-create with this younger generation Mm, but because we have never been valued, we actually don't know
0: how to do that yeah, yeah wow, well guys we are at top of the hour and I'm just wondering if there's any sort of, this has been such a fun conversation, are there any final words of wisdom about all of it? (laughs) I'm going to
1: give the just, last word to Jean. <laughs> well, I, want,
2: I don't want the last word, but um, I think just listening to both of you, your last comments there, I'm just reminded again of, I'm going to refer to Anne's book and the concept of integration, right? And that the power mm. of Anne is that there's so many things that I've heard in here today is that if we could, um, if we could get out of this either or space that we're in, if organizations yeah. mm-hmm. could get out of it, if we could as individuals, and look for where's the and, how do we, how do we have this and this? And especially the more challenging that those, uh, that those two poles are, if you will, the more critical it is that we work really hard to mm-hmm. find the and. And we know in the work that you do, steps that can't, we can't find and below the line. We have to go above it to right. find it. So, yeah, right. that's my Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Ursula, anything
1: from you? No, other than uh, maybe saying that uh, really if we are not looking at uh, shame, abandonment, uh, unbetrayal, hopelessness, fear, and frustration, if we never put that on the table and shine a light on it, the recovery, the growth, the impact, the results are going to be negatively impacted and so we need to show courage and create the ability nice. to really look at that and say we need to look here first, can move on.
0: Nice. Beautiful. And the only other thing I want to add is um, what we fell in love with about Mario Martinez's work in thinking about these wounds on an individual level is that lots of people talk about wounds and problems. He talks about healing. And that's yeah. imp- That's critical and important. And you don't have to know anything about what an organization wound is if you don't want to. If you just think about individually and organizationally, how do I honor my people, myself, the people around me? How do I commit to my, you know, my team, my group, to the enterprise, and how do I value? And those Mm Those things in any relationship, organizationally, interpersonally, with ourselves, how do I honor, commit, and value myself, my partner, my, my group if I'm a leader, um, that, is, that takes us to a different place. And I think re, rewires the neural connections that take us above the line. So there we go. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And
1: if you all want to find out more, about this amazing research and the work that we do at Be Above Leadership, please uh, go and visit our website, www.beaboveleadership.com, where we really um, highlight the amazing work we do for coaches and also for organizations.
0: Too, and Gene, how do they? Gene, how do they find you if they want to hire you as yes, an organizational Jean. consultant or uh, consult with you or anything? How do they find Gene Davidson? Um,
2: well, that's cool. Um, it's www.drjdavidson.com. dot com. Um, and I honestly is awesome. thank you so much for inviting me to be here today. And I love, I love how even just being with you two, talking about things, even when we talk about. the below the line things, it still feels like we always end in that positive place and that we're all, there's this belief here that things can be better. And I think that Mm. that starts with each one of us is if we have a belief Mm. that we can make a difference and things can be better, all is well. So thank you for today. Mm.
0: Thank you. Well Thanks thanks for
2: being with us.
1: Thanks for listening. Bye everybody. Have a great day and thanks for being on our show. Bye-bye. Bye.